So welcome to another edition of The Bones of Advertising. I'm Craig McLeod and you are? I'm still John Douglas, but um, but there's another one. There's and another I'd like one. to introduce a great mate of mine, Ravi Yanni. Welcome, Rabbo. Morning. Thank great you very much board. for having me. Oh, very, very happy to have you on board. And uh, a little bit of history, Rabbo and I have known each other in a very long time and um, maybe a little longer than both of us would care to remember. But ultimately, very excited to have this man on board to give us a bit of an insight into an industry that's been pretty badly uh, damaged by what's gone on with yeah. this pandemic. And, and I'm super keen for Rab to share some of his innovation and inspiration. This guy is an ideas man, and I'm super excited to go through both the experience, how tough it's been, but how in the face of adversity, you can be a person that can do one of two things. You can look backwards and think, shit, what am I going to do? Or you can go, okay, this is what it is. We've got to make some changes. We've got to do it really fast. And Rab, you were just talking about the time in which it took for you to be able to go from being flat out fully open to being almost completely closed. So love to hear from uh, hear from you on, on that sort of beginning process when they said to you, this is what's going to happen. Craig, thank you, JD. Uh, so we were afforded 22 hours notice to close our industry down. So March 22 at two o'clock, the Premier stood up and said, by midday tomorrow, all hospitality has to shut down. Uh, you can remain serving takeaway, uh, albeit limited. However, you aren't allowed to entertain any dining guests, serve guests over the counter or in bars. Now, you shut any industry down, and now if it runs the whole full gauntlet, it'll be close to eight months, 235 days. Wow. You do that to any industry and tell me what that industry looks like at the other side. So not not knowing much about the virus, not knowing what the medical risk actually uh, was going to look like, having a young family, a team of 54, I thought best I listen and close. So I closed the venue, utilised the time to do some much needed maintenance, it's a busy venue. It's 1,100 square metres on Domain Road in, in South Yarra, opposite the Royal Botanic Gardens. And the venue and is, Rabbo. What, what's the venue? Oh, we know it well. What, what is it? The Botanical Hotel. The Botanical Hotel. So we're not talking about a little business. We're talking about a serious operation. We certainly are. An iconic hotel here in Melbourne, close to the sporting stadiums, eight-minute walk into the CBD, yep. right opposite the Royal Botanic Gardens. So you could imagine the prominence and the value this has to the community. Yeah. Um, so we closed and I was closely monitoring, as we all were, what this virus was doing and how it was affecting us. And numbers were suppressed at the time. So after Easter came about and straight after Easter, I thought, I'm going to have to open. I have to do something. I've got to keep, I've got a team that I have an obligation to, I've got to keep them employed. Yeah. Uh, this is before JobKeeper and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you forget about that, don't you? You forget like that. That's like ancient history. Like it's thousands of years ago. Yeah. Well, I have people refer to it as last year when it wasn't. And yeah. and uh, so and we've also got a lot of students, a lot of travellers that don't aren't afforded you know government support or assistance. And right or wrongly, it's just the way it is. And uh, so I thought, let's open. We've got this stock. We have well and truly over a quarter of a million dollars worth of, of booze. So I shifted all of it out of our stores and put it out right on the front, obviously not on the footpath, but very close to the front window. Yeah. And I thought if there's one thing I know how to do and I know how to retail, I can sell. So, mm. and, and the biggest thing was at the time, I didn't do it because 
of commercial necessity. I mean, we thought it was only going to run four, five, six weeks. Yep. It was more so community engagement, keeping the brand relevant, keeping the team occupied who I have an obligation to, and supporting those that aren't afforded any government support or assistance. And from that, it just grew. The community engagement was strong. Online presence was never uh, as important for me as it has been in the last, say, seven months. Yeah. Uh, we revisited our website. We revisited our social media strategy. We started looking at things differently, not just relying on guests to walk in through the door. We had to go out to those guests and we needed as many shop fronts, I call them shop fronts, as we could, whether it was social media, uh, our website, third-party platforms, uh, and and we did that and we engaged I, with... You had some great engagement with the others in the industry as well. I, I remember, you you know, I've, I follow your socials really closely, but you engaged with with others with similar plight. So one of the one of the things was we have a three shop front or, you know, triple frontage out here on Domain Road. And I was able to reach out to a couple of like-minded hospitality operators and say, look, let's do a pop-up together, takeaway again. Uh, Andrew McConnell was one of them. I worked with the guys from Sydney, the Canafi Bakery guys. Like-minded, our product, our profile, it, it aligns with one another. And it gave, the, again, that community engagement gave me something to crow about. So the community was like, wow, Andrew McConnell's going to be in Domain Road doing his famous lobster rolls. Or the Canafi Bakery guys out of, out of New South Wales, they're bringing that to Domain Road. And, and we just created this energy and this, and this vibe that seemed to have worked and resonated Quite well, so we ran that for a few weeks, um, but in the meantime, there was still it just what was at the front door wasn't enough. Yeah. I mean, again, I'll take you back. It's eleven hundred square meters. It was a takeaway shop in a you know a little side street, paying takeaway shop rent. I think you know this was great. I'd be high fiving, yeah. but it wasn't enough. So you look to the supermarkets, you look to independents. What are they doing? And the fastest growing categories take home heat and serve meal, and people were eating at home more so than ever, yeah. given that restaurants and hospitality were closed. So we developed a range of take-home heat and serve meals, six savoury, three desserts, and stuff that you know and love. Yeah, a classic lasagna, chicken mushroom pie, tuna mornay, yes. shepherd's pie, sticky date pudding, apple crumble, all the classics. Mm. Yeah. And we just started selling them through, uh, through, our, through our venue. So we put a little sign outside in a light box, saying take home heat and serve meals, feeds two to three guests, X amount of dollars. Took that into cap in hand, took it into the independent supermarket, started with Boccaccio in Baldwin. Yep. And as it stands today, we're in eight independent supermarkets with those products and they do very, very well for us. Wow. So again, that's become another shop front. Yep. That's amazing. That's like, it's a, it just shows the, the power, like that, that I love that, that thought of here's an idea but leveraging that that genuine kind of want to serve the community. So there is that sense of it's not just about having something that you've got to sell. It's about looking at the community and saying, what do they need and how can I, what do I have that's going to help them get on with what they need to do? I think that's just a really lovely way of, of, of actually showing that, a, you care about the community, but it's a really interesting piece that you could take into any industry, whether it's hospitality, whether it's advertising, whether it's um, whether it's football, whatever. It's that whole idea of recognizing that it's the it, it's all about the people you're serving. It's all about the community. It's all about getting this, getting a um, 
a groundswell of support and then providing for that is actually a much, uh, from a commercial point of view, it's a much it's a it's a much more robust plan than just saying, I just I've I've, I've got this stuff I need to sell it. Like it's recognizing the buyer rather than just the, the than what you do. Exactly right. And I always say walk the guest's path, yep. whatever that path may look like. Yep, brilliant at that. And before we go on to the next one, Rab, let's fast forward two weeks from now. Say we're open again. Will you continue this business, this shop front? Will, will this be something that you continue as a, as a as a side hustle or will it be more than a side hustle? Oh, without a doubt. We're, we're, we're involved now with six delivery platforms and partners, be it Colab Pantry, Provador, DoorDash, you know, even your Uber Eats at certain levels with the liquor delivery and, and, and Deliveroo. Um, we also do a whole range of pre-batched cocktails for, um, so it didn't just stop at the heat and serve meals. We also do a whole range of pre-batched cocktails. Again, your classics. I'm not here to educate the consumer. They'll, they'll educate me. So if they want, you know, Negroni, they get Negroni. They want margarita, they get margarita. So that's, that's what we do. Uh, I'm not a mixologist here to profess that, you know, this is the way you should be drinking. You're walk the guests in the bar, though, my boy. Very handy behind the bar. <laughs> yeah, always trust someone who knows how to drink. They reckon <laughs> to pour you one. Um, so, so yeah, I'm hoping that you know there's another spoke in the wheel, and they'll stay with us. I mean, the the independent supermarkets they've been great news, and I'm I'm happy to say that I'm in discussion now and fairly confident that this will materialise with Metcash to go nationally with these heat and serve meals. Uh, and if and if that was to occur, then I'd need to reconfigure the business and we would be in a position then to run a night shift in our kitchen. Wow. So, you know, they, they always say you, you've got to survive to thrive. And for me, it's not about, oh, well, it was me. What can I do? So you start leaning on on people uh, in the industry that you know for advice. Sometimes, you know, they tell you things you don't like to hear. Uh, but ultimately, walk the guest's path and you'll work it out. Yeah, You will work it out. Whether you're selling cars, hats, jackets, food, you'll work so, it out. So important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a um, – how do you – like when you say you walk the guest's path, can I just dig into that just a little with you, that the whole idea of – what do they say? Customer knows best? Like the, yeah. the, the whole idea of someone coming in and asking for something and you saying, yes, I can do that, is it as simple as that or is it – or is It there can, kind of it can be. Yeah. But as I, as I said to you earlier, I mean, I looked at the supermarkets, what are they doing in terms of food? And when you see David Jones and BP petrol stations are collaborating on a food offering, you yeah. think to yourself, hang on a minute, there must be something in this. Mm. And what is in it? Through it. Particularly when the industry is shut down, people or guests are eating at home more often than not. So rather than give them something that's gas flushed for $15, maybe give them something for 19 but it's restaurant quality. Yeah. And... You know, we, we had it all nutritionally uh, tested so that we could uh, put a, you know, a made in Australia with Australian ingredients stamp on it. <clears throat> Best before probe so you knew exactly how long you had for freshness. So we did it correctly and that was an investment. Yeah. But it was an investment with a view to growing that category or that spoke in the wheel, so to speak, within our business. And that's just one element that I'm hoping will remain with us. Uh, the, the other thing you can't, you can't discount is... You get to know your business through a time like this very, very well. Yes. And I, I used the example the other day. I said if we were selling pencils, because it's all good and well when you've got a business and they're selling barrels of beer and 98% of that 
uh, ingredient is water. And if you can't make money out of water, you've got a problem. It's, it's one thing to be selling, you know, loads of beer and gin and tonics and, and all that sort of stuff. And you see this coming in and you think, oh, yeah, this gentleman came in, they're, they're drinking X, Y and Z. And, but if you were selling pencils, you break one pencil or you lose one pencil out of a box of 10, there goes your margin. And I always say you've got to look at your business that carefully. Yeah, absolutely. I like, But I like that, that idea of... Like a lot of people when they were if you were if you were setting up a new business, if you were setting up a new line of business, the easy option is to go, well, we'll sell it for less and then we'll build up a clientele and then like then we'll raise prices. But you've gone, well, people people could buy something for fifteen dollars that's not fantastic, and we can sell it for nineteen. So A, it's gonna cost more, but B, it's gonna be better. And that, that idea of you're not discounting your value, like what's your real value to your customers? It's not just food. It's it's careful. It's it's quality. It's 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 well presented. It's beautiful. Like it's made by people who actually give a damn. And so and so people are prepared to pay a margin for that. Well, what you're going. The beauty of it, Rab, as well, is that you're in a position where you're actually listening to what they want rather than telling them what they need. And that's one of the things we talk about a lot, John, is understanding, you know, walking the customer's path, but listening. They can't go out, but they still want great quality food. So by providing them great quality food, you're putting them in a position where you're occupying that need. You're giving them what they want. So, you know, yes, you're doing a benefit to the community, but you've listened and then you've looked at it from an entrepreneurial point of view and said, okay, well, how can we do this bigger? How can we scale this up? How can we make this something that we could potentially go on with after all of this goes goes past? What, what, what's the opportunity past this, which is just brilliant? And now you're talking to Metcash and the opportunities there. But I'm super interested, Rabbi, what else did you do? What were the other things that you did? I know there was a number of sort of shop fronts that you set up that, that, that were really, you know, super important and critical to be... Uh, to help you be where you are right now? Well, first of all, going back to what JD was talking to about the price point and your consumer and, and how did you navigate that? Your business, regardless of what your product is or your service, uh, will only ever go where the punters want it to go. If I sell $2 pints of cider, I'm only ever going to be that business that does $2 pints of cider. And there's nothing wrong with it. There are formulas where it works. And if I was in, you know, a backpacker precinct in Sydney or in Melbourne, in you know, St Kilda or something like that, maybe that's where I need to be and that's where the business goes. Um, I, I think now at 27 years in the industry, I look at things a little bit differently, a little like to think maturity. Uh, and talking to guests and being there with them in amongst them, you get to know pretty quickly what it is they're willing to, to, to spend and invest in a product uh, or a service uh, because they let you know. And if it sells, they just vote with their feet. If it sells, you're doing the right thing. With regard to other initiatives, uh, Craig, you, you know, I, I mentioned the, the various shop fronts earlier. I talked about Providor, a very good friend of mine, uh, Shane Delaire, he set up, he came up with this online business called Providor where it's basically an Uber Eats but for top-end restaurants. And we agreed at the time that it was only going to be a maximum of 20. Well, there's 50 restaurants, bars and hotels listed on it today. Um, and power to him. 
Yeah. And, you know, we gave it a, a red hot crack and we're still giving it a red hot crack and we collaborate and we do promotions and the media partners broadsheet and that's been very good for us as well. So now you've got to look to that and go, hang on a minute, whilst it isn't what attracted me to the industry, packing boxes and putting little recipe cards together and the, the irony of it is five years ago, and Craig can tell you this, <clears throat> I set up a business called Culinary Carton which is very much that. Yeah. Maybe it was ahead of its time. Maybe it was not through a pandemic. Maybe I wasn't good at it. And I ended up folding that within three years. So today it was very easy for me to just switch out recipes onto the templates that we developed with Culinary Gun to do our Provador. So we look like, wow, what a slick operation. You've done this before. And yes, truth be told, we have, but we weren't any good at it. And now, yeah. you know, five years on, here we are. So that's another, again, spoke in the wheel, so to speak. But it's all experience, isn't it? Like you were able to leverage the stuff that you'd done. You'd spent three years preparing for this pandemic that you didn't know was coming. How do you see, Rab, the the next six months? Say we get to a point where we're coming out. How, how do you see it opening up? Because your opening comment talking about, you know, 24 hours to shut down a, a business of your size and now being in that position for eight months and having re-engineered a whole bunch of things within your business. How do you see it opening back up? How do you see that process? I know they're still talking about, you know, 10 guests, which doesn't work with 1,100 square feet, does it? It doesn't. Uh, no, 1,100 square metres, actually. So 10 guests ten guests will be 2.5% of our capacity. Wow. So we're licensed, a heavily regulated venue, licensed, or industry, I should say, licensed for 400, which in effect probably means you can fit 600, right? But it's licensed for 400 and you respect that. To then be told you can have a maximum of 10 per room and, and 20 per venue, that's 5% capacity. How do I gear up for it? I'm excited, but I'll tell you right now. I am nervous. The Sunday we reopen before lockdown two, when we reopen for that four and a half week period, that Sunday I didn't sleep. You're testing every point of sale, you're testing every printer, everything's programmed correctly. It's based, It's like setting up a new business. And you're only as good as your last service. So regardless of how many years I've been in the industry and how many people of note or guests of note and how many celebrations we've hosted and people have been very happy, that Monday lunch service to me was going to be the legacy, so to speak, should something have happened to me by Monday dinner service. Yeah. So you're only as good as your last service, and I say that to the team. The Sunday night prior, I didn't sleep. And I'm tipping the same thing will happen the next time we're going to go. Um, so now there's two reasons I won't sleep, one being Richmond playing the Cats in the grand final. <laughs> and then on Sunday night, if we are to open next Monday, then it's the same reason. So it's going to be a long three days for me, yeah. two nights. But I am excited by I am excited by the, uh, the you know the prospect of, of reopening and having these initiatives remain with us in the business because it'll it'll make it a dynamic environment. Uh, and if we do go down the path of running a night shift for the kitchen to do the production of you know the heat and serve meals and the the take home stuff with Provador, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the guys pre batching cocktails just. The, the way in which, you know, the bottles are sealed, the tags, the neck tags that are on them with a bit of string and the and the botanical logo and, the you know, like I'm just very proud of the team, how resourceful they've been as well. I mean, I've got some great guys working with me as young as 19, 20 and, you know, and I've, I've also got some people that have been working with me 15 to 17 years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rabbi, you'd be absolutely commended, mate. You are one of the legends of the industry. 
I would say you're bulletproof because I've, I've been with you and I've known you for a long, long time and you've been through some great stuff, some tough stuff. And I'd say this is probably one of the biggest challenges in that 27 years. And as I said, to be able to do what you've done with the innovation and the, and the initiatives to take that business from, from what it was to what it is and what it will be moving forward, uh, as I said, you to be commended. And I'd ask most of our guests to have for a parting thought for something that they would leave our listeners with that sort of talks to that point of innovation. And JD always likes to talk about how we can take an idea from one thing and turn it into something else. So I would love to hear a parting thought from you, Robo. Anything that you've got to add? My parting thought is Melbourne, us Victorians, we're resilient. And Melbourne as a city will come back and will come back bigger and better. Stay strong, don't flee, don't go up north. You owe it to the state to stay here and pay back. And by payback, we made it the most livable city. Our politicians didn't, our bureaucrats didn't, we did. Well said. So, that's, thank you. That's another edition of the Bones of Advertising. Don't go changing, Jaden. We'll uh, we'll see everyone again next week. Thanks, Rab.